All right, turn to Ephesians 2. As you're turning, I'll tell you a little bit about where we are heading today. Um, Most of you are familiar with Grace Gumbo. I've talked about it a few times in here. Some of you have been to Grace Gumbo. Basically, uh, Dr. Young, our senior pastor, takes a break on Wednesday nights in the summer. And at least for the last four summers, uh, we've had this thing called Grace Gumbo led by our worship pastor, Jim Umloff. And the idea behind it is that we're all in this together. So much like a pot of gumbo, we're an assortment of different people all in this uh, pot together. Grace Gumbo is set up much like a talk show. Jim is the host. He has a couple guests each week that he interviews, and there's a short-ish Bible lesson at the end. Um, Tiffany and I have a unique perspective on gumbo because... (coughs) My start date at Grace of Anne was June 1st, 2011, right around the time of the start of the first season of Gumbo. For one, uh, Gumbo was a big part of us feeling at home here at Grace. We really didn't know very many people um, at all, at least, I mean, we knew people on a hello basis. I knew a lot of people's faces and names, but we weren't, you know, it wasn't home. And uh, so Gumbo was a big part of that. And, and two, we've seen Gumbo grow and evolve um, since the get-go and have seen our church grow and evolve with that. And this is my conclusion of the matter. Grace Gumbo has transformed the life of our church in a good way. For example, after Wednesday night services, um, everyone used to leave within a couple minutes, a few minutes. Um, I mean, it could almost be a little bit discouraging, but it was just the way it was. Everyone would leave. But now it's not uncommon for some people to still be hanging out an hour after the service ends. Uh, And that's not just during the summer. It has carried over throughout the year. Gumbo, what Gumbo did is we had this little fellowship time after and people would hang around for 20, 30 minutes or whatever. And that has carried over into the the rest of the year. It's, It's created a much warmer environment. Not just in the summer, not just Wednesday nights, but I think it has gone a long way in creating a much warmer family environment in our church. Now, we still have plenty of room to grow in that area, um, but we've grown a lot in four years. And I think the biggest reason, or one of the biggest reasons for that, is because each week at Gumbo we get to hear bits and pieces of people's testimonies. Um, not only about how people came to know the Lord, though that is a part of some of the things that they talk about, but just life. You know, just what do you do? Where are you from? Kind of thing. And uh, you hear someone tell their story, and even though you've never spent any time with them one-on-one or face-to-face, you leave that night and you feel like, you know, I know that person now. Um, And uh, it, it has me thinking that we need to incorporate some of what makes... Grace Gumbo, great, into our class. I actually got the idea from Rachel Hankins a couple years ago and really never did anything with it, but I think it's time to implement it now. So the goal is that the first Sunday of every month, um, we're going to have interview-style testimonies in class. Now, don't get too nervous. You're like, oh my gosh, what am I, you know, how I've never, I can't speak in front of people and You really don't even have to be able to be super articulate about your testimony. 
I will set you up for success. I mean, I will spend time with you before. Um, I promise. I'll talk. You know, uh, I'll I'll spend time with you before. We'll go through talking points and things that I think we should talk about, and I'll coach you through kind of how you can talk about that. And um, you're really just telling us about your life, and it, it will be, I think, a powerful help in uh, further establishing our community. Uh, for our generation. So it's kind of like a poor man's gumbo. We're not going to have the bells and whistles. I'm not going to have sound or anything. I'm not funny, you know, but the uh, we're going to be doing some interview style testimony in here on a regular basis. Um, so now you know where we're going. Let me read our passage in Ephesians 2. <coughs> Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 5. Follow as I read, this is the Word of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. So last week we looked in pretty good detail at this contrast of um, death to life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. All of us without exception, we're born that way, physically alive, but spiritually dead. But God, because He's rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us in Christ, God made us alive in Christ. This is true of you even if you were so young when you started following Christ that you can't really remember ever not following Christ. When you were born into this world, it is as if you were dead at the bottom of the ocean. All of us were. But in Christ, God rescued us from the bondage and death of sin. He brought us to new life. It's all grace. It's all God. By God's grace, you have been saved. So one of the things that I said last week is no one has a boring testimony. Um, if you ever tell me that you do, I will stop you and make fun of you because I just don't think that no one has a boring testimony. If you're a Christian, you have a powerful, miraculous testimony. You were dead. God made you alive. That said, some of us don't come to Christ until later. So even though um, the death to life contrast is there uh, in everyone, some of us lived long enough following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air and the desires of our flesh and all that, um, so that we can really kind of see, you know, the contrast more and remember death more um, and, and life and all that. So when I think about this contrast, death to life, usually two people come into my mind, either me or my brother. Um, not because we're more converted than anyone else. I don't believe that for a second. But just because the contrast has been, and you know, I don't know everyone's story before Christ and all that, but 
um, the contrast has been so evident in our lives, death and life. And uh, most of you guys have heard my story or parts of my story, so because we're in this death to life passage right now, I thought we'd start with my brother, Tyler Luke. So come on up, Tyler. (laughs) Snaps. Uh, As he gets settled, I'll tell you... um, For those that don't know, Tyler's working on our church staff right now for at least a month, maybe a couple months, um, helping the athletic ministry through a difficult transition. He just got back from China, spent two years there as a missionary through Campus Crusade, and um, only God knows what he'll be doing in a few months, but uh, for now he's back from China, he's working here as he tries to process and figure out what he's going to be doing next. All right, Tyler Matthew Luke. Uh, let's start with you telling us a little bit about your upbringing. Okay. Well, as the younger brother, I get to kind of fulfill my role as the guinea pig for this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's, so, exa- that's the real reason uh, why it's up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I actually grew up um, just down the street in Beaver Creek in Collierville and then Halley Plantation. <laughs> um, started coming to Grace when I was, I guess, before I turned one, um, 1990 or something. And really one of the biggest memories in my own life was like or before I was an adolescent teenager um was being here um and playing sports I mean had a great relationship with my parents um loved people up here (laughs) um loved the people up here actually got to spend a lot of time with Will back there um way back when um but you know like everything was was kind of lined up in the uh, the typical church kid fashion. I spent more time at the church than I did at home. I was up here most of the time getting into trouble, but um, playing hide and go seek on a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, that was just kind of what me and some of my friends did. Um, invested a lot of time into sports um, and loved my parents and my brother sometimes. Um, not so often, but uh, <laughs> when I wasn't beating him up, yeah, when he wasn't destroying me. Um, but um, yeah, just kind of had that that mentality of like living this life that I'm like I'm a twelve year old. You know, this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, and yeah, Did that start to change a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that shaped a lot of my later years. But then turning um, about thirteen, um, I guess started to realize that those were the things that I was supposed to do, but not the things that I wanted to do. Um, I was I was kind of walking in this way that my parents had laid out. But from my view, you know, I'd heard the gospel, and I understood it. Will teach, taught it great, so let's give him a round of applause. Um, but uh, just really hadn't translated to a heart level, and that was God's plan for me. But um, started running uh, the other direction. Um, you know, my dad would say, do this, and that to me translated, well, that's not going to be any fun, so I'm going to do what I think is best for my life. And that kind of culminated, I guess, um, or really kicked off um, the first time I verbally acknowledged was my dad found a bag of pot in my pocket. I was maybe it just turned 14. Um, and I remember him asking me, how can you be okay spiritually with this going on? And he had no reason to think that I wouldn't be a Christian up until that point. And I just remember being like, Dad, I don't even know what that means. Like, spiritually okay, I, I don't understand these terms. You know, like, I, I, I'm not interested in it, and it just doesn't uh, hold any sway over what I want my life to be. 
Um, so that was a big turning point for you, yeah, where you finally yeah. owned who you were and where you wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So what was life like after that? Yeah, so then... You're in was, high school now. I was starting high school. I had just gotten done um, burning down Houston Middle School's football shed, so that's another story. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was A little bit of... I mean, it's not funny. My, uh, I had just graduated high school, and I was like, the summer before I go to college is his summer before he goes to high school, and the cops call at like 2 o'clock in the morning, Mrs. Luke, we have your son Tyler, and she's groggy, and she says, no, no, you mean Chris. <laughs> and they say, no, no, we mean Tyler. And uh, he had snuck out and gotten in a lot of trouble. And really, I mean, my parents' nightmare they thought was about to end as I went to college. Really, they had four more years of that. And it's so, just beginning. Um, yeah. Or continuing. Um, so what was life like in high school? But yeah, so I, honestly, looking at it in perspective now it was a lot of fun i think that we're not supposed to acknowledge things like that like following the course of the world is fun like parties are fun doing drugs was fun i I quit playing sports quit doing anything productive and did what i wanted to do but it was all like immediate entertainment you know whatever i could do to kind of keep going for the day type thing and it it was enjoyable there was no long-term joy there um but it talks about, in Ephesians 2, gratifying the desires of the flesh. Yeah. That is, immediate satisfaction. Yeah. And um, I think for the time being, without having, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds can't really see that far into the future um, or see kind of what course they're going on. Um, but for me at the time, it was exactly what I wanted to be doing. I always had something to do. My uh, friend group was always growing. I was hanging out with people all throughout the city. Um, always had a girlfriend or something of that sort and always had something going on. Um, so to me, it was, it was like I had started on this course and now I'm living it out and it's going as planned. Yeah. yeah. Landon said something to me interesting this week. He said these high school students now, of course, they have Twitter. We didn't have Twitter. But if they have friends at all the schools in the city, that's when they've arrived. And, uh, you know, so you thought you had arrived. Yeah. You had friends at all these schools and, you know, kind of doing your thing. Yeah. Um, but things started to break down a little bit. You got in a car wreck. Yeah. And uh, tell us about the car wreck. Yeah. So I guess, like, in high school, all these things hadn't, like, the, the proper light hadn't really been shed on the, the path that I was going on. But then um, my senior year of high school, which is, yeah, uh, side note that I'm not going to say. Yeah, that's um, right. Senior year of high school um, was had been out. Um, there was a bar that would like let one of our friends' bands play every Friday night, and we were, you know, sixteen to eighteen year olds that would go drink at this bar every single night, and there'd be a hundred to two hundred people up there, and or every single Friday night, sorry. And it was like what we did, and it was always fun, so we'd plan around that, and we left at midnight or so um, to come home from the bar. My girlfriend was driving, and we had a an acquaintance in the back. I didn't really know him, but he needed a ride home. So um, we're driving back, and um, my girlfriend was drunk. My ex-girlfriend was drunk, and I was too. I was actually passed out in the car. We were um, right across from the nursery uh, in between Kirby and Farmington or West Street um, and started, I I guess I had woken up like about Kirby, and click my seatbelt for whatever reason. I, you know, would, I know for what reason now, but um, at the time it just didn't make sense. Yeah, but many of you have, you know, sadly, 
the experience of when you're passed out from drinking, you don't wake up. I mean, for some time. But he wakes up at Kirby, clicks yeah. his seatbelt on, and then passes right back out. And I wake up 30 seconds later to us running through a white picket fence um, that is actually gone now, but there used to be a little house there with the, the fence right across the street from that nursery. And I'd wake up just in time to see this big oak tree right, like, right in front of me, and we just hit it going 45. The car does a 360 out in the, uh, out in the street, and I had my seatbelt on, so I jumped out of the car to make sure everybody is okay, but the guy in the backseat had broken his neck, and I couldn't find... Anna at the time was my ex-girlfriend or my girlfriend at the time and just kind of that was the first time that I had really seen hey my parents might not be crazy um this is the way that this stuff kind of plays out um and I had finally seen kind of the stain of death upon that lifestyle um now that you know I was 17 so that didn't stick for long um, but, but it was a it was, it was a blip a t- yeah, yeah. on the radar. Yeah, yeah. that's what he's, I was just captivated by him telling me that's the first time I really realized that death. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of my story is the realization of death and an encounter with death. And um, anyway, uh, so you get in a car wreck, and then within the next year you start college at Memphis. What was that transition like? Um, it was it was like taking that transition into high school and then giving me freedom. It was like the only thing I'd ever really wanted was like uh, no parents to tell me what to do, you know? That was perfect. Um, so for six months, even though this had just happened and it had grabbed my attention, I um, really, we were, what, number one in uh, basketball Derrick Rose is yeah. basketball. I mean, everything was fun. Yeah, so we were going to games all the time, just having a great time. I had a, my own house with roommates that I liked and parties all the time, and it was fun. Um, and I guess about six months in, um, after kind of, I, I made good grades the first semester, which was mind blowing. Mind blowing to everyone involved. <laughs> I mean, parents, really mind blowing. My parents were like, we were sure that you were going to fail out and be moving to Minnesota with us. So, um, that was cool. My parents had just moved to Minnesota yeah, when yeah, you yeah. start. So even, I mean, not only does he have freedom from parents, but they moved to Minnesota, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I could really do whatever I yeah, want. Yeah. And then he gets like a 3-9 or something. People are like, <laughs> he must be cheating. <laughs> Maybe sometimes. So stuff starts happening six months in, yeah. and uh, tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess I had that car wreck on the radar, um, and that had opened my eyes a bit, but... But there was still this, this really fun six months, and then I started to get uncomfortable in my own skin. I was no longer comfortable around my friends or in the situations that I'd been in, and I really couldn't explain why that was, but um, it just had kind of lost its taste for me. I feel like like everything that I had ever wanted, I had at that point, which I guess I wasn't setting my goals very high, but, um, <laughs> but, but um, I, I had what I wanted, and it just wasn't what I expected um the the fun was like well now you know I have what I thought would fulfill me and it's just not um and so there are different kind of things working with that but um started you know did you have something well yeah I think about the basketball game uh in March so it was probably like the first weekend in March I was in school at Tennessee he was a freshman at Memphis it was number one versus number two Memphis was number one, Tennessee number two, game day. And I had been a Christian for like uh, a year and a half. No, about a year. Yeah, year and a half at that point. 
And so we're going to go to this game together. We stood in line at that game for 15 hours to get into the student section. <laughs> like, we showed up at 5 a.m. I mean, I'm still mad about that. Yeah. But it, it we was were that, like 400th in line at 5 a.m. Yeah, I mean, people were camping. It was... Anyway, uh, so the basketball game and then one of my friends, Wes, who Wes is a friend of mine who really kind of discipled me in the first year of my Christian life, and uh, those two things kind of had an influence on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were definitely big things, and I think with the kind of me being confused about why I'm not comfortable in my own skin anymore, uh, and then they're there to kind of put words to that. My brother shares a bit about his testimony. Wes gives me a Ray Comfort CD, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend. But it Hell's did. Best Kept Secret yeah, yeah, was the name. Yeah, yeah so it was very yeah, <laughs> it was straightforward. Very straightforward. You're probably going to hell. Hell's Best Kept Secret. Why don't you listen to this? <laughs> if you know Wes, that's Wes. So, uh, um, but yeah, those those things kind of helped put words to what was going on, not that I necessarily recognized it, but... Um, so is your conversion more like a season, a process, yeah, is there a time? This I mean, was, these were things that, like, looking back, I can see, um, but at the time, I was just, like, confused and wanted to stay home. You know, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on, why am I not having fun anymore? Um, but then, I remember one night in specific, I, had, I was on drugs and had been drinking, and just remember like getting up from the couch and had a little bag of pills uh, you know whatever wasn't a big deal but took them and threw them in the garbage and my roommate was like dude what are you doing (laughs) give those to me um and just could not understand what was going on because that was so counter who we were at the time um but i just didn't say anything and walked into my room and um just kind of shut the door it was like eight which was time to wake up you know um, and at night, and um, just remember, like sitting there for a couple of hours, and found a, my Bible that I bought in the Grace Library when I was like twelve. Um, I hadn't seen it since, um, and I didn't even open it. I don't think I, I you know, I might have done the flip to the magic page type thing or something, but I didn't didn't really read any or comprehend any of it. But I knew that like finally God had put words to what was going on in my life, and just like saw the need for Jesus in that and you know like I said I I heard the gospel when I was younger both from my parents and people with grace um and it just clicked all of a sudden um eight years after I'd heard it you know yeah um and I remember waking up the next morning to my roommates uh smoking and I walked in the room and just like couldn't even fathom wanting to sit down and do that because it had so lost its taste to me um, just kind of moving in that lifestyle. So I just walked out of the house. And, like, I mean, I can't even imagine how confused I was about what had just happened um, then. But um, that was kind of the turning point yeah. of, of my life. Wow. Uh, you know, it's interesting. My perspective on the wreck, I had been a Christian for two months. And, I mean, I was four grades ahead. So I was a fourth year in college. He was a senior in high school when that wreck happened, Christmas break. I've been a Christian two months, and we were, you know, pot-smoking buddies two months prior. He would come up and visit me in Knoxville the whole time I was there, and we would just kind of party together. Well, for those two months, I was a different person, and I was not into that, and I was about following Christ, and, you know, it was very confusing probably for him. I remember I was at home Christmas break, 
he had stolen my room, uh, so I was in his old room. I'm still mad about that. But the uh, kept all your furniture. Too. I remember he gets home from the wreck. He's in his bed on the phone with his girlfriend, and she must have said something like, "Go talk to your brother." And he says, "I can't talk to him. He's like a Christian now." You know. So that was the wreck. Uh, and then the basketball game. I was a new Christian. Um, I couldn't have been a Christian more than a year at that point. Maybe that was right after this. And uh, I was just a new Christian that knew the gospel and wanted to share it with the people that I loved. And so I was nervous for those 15 hours, you know, standing in line. I'm thinking, I have to share the gospel with him. I have to tell him what has happened to me. And I was nervous. I mean, I still get nervous when I share the gospel. You know, it's still scary. But I remember that whole day just probably being fidgety. And it was kind of thing you couldn't get out of line because you'd lose your spot. And there's now thousands of people behind us, and we got there at 5 a.m. to get a spot. So we finally get, like, dude, we save our spot. They saved our spot. We went to lunch, and I remember just telling him, look, I just have to tell you this. You know, I have to tell you what God has done in my life. I have to put words on it. You've seen a change. And he was very captive audience, listening I think you said something like, I'm happy for you or something like that, you know, which is what people say. But, uh, and then my perspective on his conversion, which was two months, less than two months, or about two months exactly after that game. So I graduated two months after that game in early May. And my friend Wes and I, and now Wes's uh, wife, they were not married at the time, but we went to Destin to celebrate graduation. And Wes and I were talking, we're like, man, we should invite Tyler because at least we get to share the gospel again, and he can be around Christians, and I don't know, you know, who knows what he'll do at night, but I don't know, he could come. And uh, so the plan was, Tyler comes up to Knoxville after graduation, he rides down to Destin, just me and him, and I'm getting all geared up, nervous, and like, I'm going to share the gospel, and you know, keep telling him about Jesus, and when we get in that car, he's telling me his testimony. And so that whole week, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. It still gives me chills. But I mean, you know, he just starts telling me about what God had been doing in his life. Those two months, all that, what he just said, was in those two months. And we're just worshiping God together. And we get down on the beach, and that whole week was just looking out at the ocean, praising God. I mean, he said it was still kind of weird not to be doing going out at night in Florida. But, I mean, we were praying instead, you know. And uh, it was just very powerful um, so, you were dead, then you were alive, you're a new creation, a new Christian, then what? Yeah, um, so I spent about a year, yeah, just one more year in Memphis, and during that time, I I guess right when I became a new believer, I was like, I need to share the gospel with my friends, because that's what needs to happen, and unfortunately, I didn't have a firm grasp on that, so I was um, really, like, pushing most of my friends away, and not loving them, but, like, Making it as uncomfortable as possible for probably making a bunch of them, rules for them making a that they weren't living up to how to be a Christian. You know, just um, so thankful I did it because I think it kind of turned like gave me the desire to share my faith with people since it was so early on, and it really helped me to overcome like it's a nerve wracking thing to do. It's not as nerve wracking as we think it is, or as we think it should be. But you know, even still. Um, but then I had uh, lived in Memphis for another year and really was desiring uh, a strong community. So the only place that I knew I could find that with people of my age and similar circumstances um, was Knoxville, where um, Chris had actually just moved out of. Um, there's 
nine to ten guys that all lived on the same corner in Knoxville when they were. It's the guys that I had lived with yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. before I got married. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I moved, transferred to UT, um, and it was awesome. I mean, it was such a benefit in growing and knowledge of the Bible and the knowledge of how community works and. Um, just, just kind of the, the Christian life that I had never really seen, um, or that I had never really picked up on. I had seen it done. Yeah. But. So, but while you're in Knoxville, you go through a pretty painful event. So, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So, I had um, from the times that I had become a believer, it had been kind of a roller coaster of how I saw the gospel to be. From um, immediately after being a believer, kind of swinging through this kind of legalism phase, which I don't think was all bad at the time because it really pulled me out of where I was and helped me to kind of get into some better circumstances for um, really for following the Lord. Um, But then when I got to Knoxville, it really swung over more to this license phase of like, well, surely all of this can't be bad. Um, God's grace is awesome. God's grace is all encompassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And what better place to do that than Knoxville where everybody else is doing that. Um, So that, uh, I had started dating a girl right before I moved, a different girl. Her name was Jessica. And we dated for two and a half years. Um, And we, the day that I bought an engagement ring, actually, I was like, calling to give it to her and she broke up with me on that phone call um and talk about crushed man that was a really hard thing to deal with because i didn't see it coming at all but um blinding pain yeah 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 yeah. um just like oh what do you mean (laughs) you know um but uh had just gotten uh blindsided but it was i guess right after that i'd started processing these kind of thoughts of like all right, I know I'm God's child. Um, and uh, I know my mom's calling me like every 10 minutes, like, it's, are you okay? Are you okay? It's, it's going to be okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, it started processing, like, as God's child, I know that he no longer has any wrath stored up for me. Like, that was paid. And I'd studied my Bible, so I knew these big words uh, and was able to use those to kind of understand his grace. But that was like that... Uh, pain and that kind of uh, just yeah that that kind of calling from him. Um, you know, it wasn't his wrath towards yeah, you, yeah, but well, it was for your good. Yeah, yeah. as like, his child. If there's no more wrath, then there's there's just love and grace. So somehow I'm like, well, I know that. Okay, somehow this is for my mercy, or this is his mercy, and it's it's for my good. And um, just like as, as the following months kind of laid out, got to see how. He was using um, that to, to point out like, like the way that you've been living the Christian life this past year really was probably the extent of it is is not what I've called you to. There's something so much more um, here. Because yeah. you had fallen into that kind of license yeah. and, you know, some of the reasoning for breaking up was you weren't the man that she needed, yeah. kind of, which is how sobering is that yeah. to hear. Um, but I remember getting an email like four months later. I mean, he's processing this pain for quite some time and saying that, I know this isn't his wrath. I know this is for my good. Um, I don't know. It does not feel good, yeah. you know, but I know he's doing something good in my pain. It's Romans eight twenty eight. you know, God works all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And uh, 
This, there's a redemptive purpose in our pain, period. But that really leads us to China because yeah. if you hadn't gone through the breakup, you would have never gone to China and you would have never been the man that you are today. Um, so generally speaking, for those that haven't heard, what were you doing in China? Yeah, so I guess actually I'll just real quick, like how I got there. We had broken up and I'd started working um, for a mortgage company and just wasn't I'm much more of like I need to be doing something. So I was on the phone and it just wasn't uh, it wasn't for me. Um, but like with all these things happening, it was like, I was just in a place of like, China sounds awesome. You know? <laughs> right. like, I'm down. It's so far away. Yeah. Um, no one can talk to me. Yes. And it, it was just like, I shared the gospel with people in the States and finally it was like, Oh, I can even tell people about God that have never heard about it. Like I can leave and do that. It's perfect. You know? Um, so I got to China and my first year really it just hit me how much sharing the gospel um like god used that to to teach it to me um being able to to every day go out and actively share the gospel was just like groundbreaking like i didn't do that before i yeah i would look for opportunities too and then you know not take them most of the time but um but um it, yeah, it just uh, taught me His grace and His goodness and seeing other people's lives get to change just through these words coming from a broken person that doesn't really know what he's talking about and can't speak Chinese. Uh, <laughs> but just seeing how good he was in that was awesome. I remember you saying we interviewed you after your first year in here uh, and you said, I don't know how I was ever spiritually healthy when I wasn't sharing the gospel. And I'll probably never forget that because... That's pretty convicting, and uh, it's encouraging also, you know, to, to see God work in that way. And um, yeah. so maybe you've already answered, how has that changed you, or, or do you, if you want yeah. to say some other things about China. Yeah, and then, like, so that was kind of the biggest revelation first year, and then second year was really able to, like, kind of um, settle into the culture a little bit, learn the language, but really kind of meet with these same guys every week while meeting with other people and started... <coughs> Um, I'm actually dating a girl who's over there right now for the next year, so y'all can pray about that. Uh, but uh, we've been dating for a while, and this second year was such like a, with the foundation that the Lord had laid that first year and through the breakup with Jessica, he used that so much to to just like make me aware of the way that I treat people and aware of the blessings that he has through others um yeah. and so getting to share with these chinese guys every day and see them grow and see how much like a, a guy that had no idea like a guy who thought jesus was zeus um two years ago legitimately was like the first time i asked him if he knew who christ was he said yeah he's that guy in uh, wrath of titans which is a bad movie um but it's just like and now he's leading a fellowship and he has good Theology, less important, his heart is awesome, and he's firm in his faith. Um, but getting to see that sort of thing play out um, was just uh, so encouraging yeah. and groundbreaking. For me. It's really, we can learn a lot from that, because uh, I was thinking about this this week because of what we read for Man Cake, but our tendency in pain, pain is disorienting, it's confusing, it comes in all shapes and sizes, it comes for short seasons and long seasons, and... Our tendency is to look down the line at the day when we will not have pain anymore. But that's not what we're... That, that we're wasting our pain, really, in that. And I waste plenty of pain. 
But, you know, the whole book of Psalms, that what we were reading, it, it, it said that, uh, like, very small percentage of the Psalms are committed to joy and expressing joy, but a great many are committed to expressing lament or pain or confusion or chaos or the valley of death or whatever it is. And so much of this life involves pain. And my, the, the big thing that I feel like God was nudging on me this week is don't look. You don't know if that's ever going to end. You don't know what's happening down there. But lean into your pain and establish fellowship with God in your pain because He uses that to explode our growth. You know, it's like steroids. Kind of. If if God always seems to meet us down here in the valley, we're all, you know, like we want that as Christians and then we're always trying to climb back out of that valley but learning to live in the place that He's put us. Yeah. Though, uh, you know, He talks about walking with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And walking is slow. You know, we wish that he would run or just fly. Can't you do lots of things, you know, get us out of this valley? But though I walk, you know, that's a big, that's a big word. Um, pain is slow, and, uh, but it's significant. All right, anything else? China? Good. Uh, let... It's not all perfect. I'm back here and have no idea what my yeah. life looks like, so... Um, God's still good in that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But you know, look, I think it's a very powerful story. It's very close to home to me. But one of the things that I would say to you is, even if the details of your life were not different, I'd say the same thing. I mean, your story is the same. You were dead and you now live. And there has been a radical change that only God could produce in your heart, in His heart, in my heart, in your heart. And um, He's doing the same things with you, growing you up into Christ, growing you in this great salvation. And um, it's just been very encouraging to me. There was an interesting thing as we were talking about this. He, He told a story of the first time that he got asked to smoke pot. And he was in eighth grade and he told his friends no. And like that day or that week, he came home. The same day. The same day, he comes home. And I'm a senior in high school. And me and like 10 of my friends are smoking pot on our back porch because my parents were gone. And he goes, oh, so it must not be that bad. So so I really discipled him in darkness, which when I was a brand new Christian weighed very heavy on me, very heavy, because I had taught him everything he knew. But then God opens this door to lead him to the light. And uh, man, what a joy. I mean, you know... We all have family members that don't know the Lord, or maybe if not, then we have close friends. And might this just be an encouragement to um, share our faith and just worship God for His great grace, which is at work in our midst. So let's pray. Father in heaven, You are indeed good, and we do trust You, and Your grace is amazing. We were all dead in our sins But because of Your great love, You brought us to life. You rescued us from the clutches of sin and death. And uh, we now know that on that day when we die, we will actually be most fully alive. And uh, it is a great paradox. We're thankful. We recognize that Your grace is at work right now in our midst. And we are indeed thankful. Thank you for Tyler. Thank you for Your grace in his life. Thank you for 
um, His faithfulness in response to Your grace. Might it encourage us all. Strengthen our faith, Lord, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.